Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Right, thank you all for coming today to our lunchtime lecture. My name is Kayleigh Dewhurst, I'm the digital production editor at the ODI. Uh, I'd like to welcome our speaker, Paul Gibbons, a former FOI officer at the GLA, um, author of the Freedom of Information Officers Handbook, and perhaps best known for his uh, FOI Man blog. Um, he's going to be speaking to us about what goes on behind the scenes uh, when people make a Freedom of Information request. Um, there'll be time for questions at the end, um, and for those watching on the live stream, uh, just ask you to put your questions or comments uh, using the hashtag ODI Fridays on Twitter. So over to you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Kaylee. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. Um, thanks for coming along today uh, and for watching uh, online. Yeah, I, I, as, as Kaylee said, I, for years I, I cut my teeth really as a Freedom of Information Officer. Uh, at the GLA, the Greater London Authority, uh, working for, obviously, Ken Livingstone, first of all, and then some guy called Boris Johnson, who I'm not sure anybody's really heard of since. But, um, uh, but uh, it was a bit of a baptism of fire, as you can imagine. Um, I learned an awful lot about freedom of information uh, in those days, and I learned about the challenges of being a freedom of information officer. Um, and uh, one of the things that I've done recently, as Kaylee mentioned, is I've written a book, called the Freedom Information Officer's Handbook. Um, and um, really that's all about being a Freedom Information Officer, um, the things that Freedom Information Officers do, um, how you can make Freedom Information work well behind the scenes. So that's really um, sort of what started all of this up. What we're going to be talking about today, because we've only got a short amount of time, um, I'm going to focus on that role of the Freedom Information Officer um, and what it actually does. So because a lot of people don't really know what happens behind the scenes. They don't know about these people that make freedom of information work. Um, we're helped a lot. I mean, I've mentioned my book, um, which you can helpfully see on here. Uh, but um, there's also been some other research that's come out recently, which has been really, really helpful um, in terms of understanding what's really going on behind the scenes. Um, for a long time, the FOI officer was kind of a silent, shadowy figure in the background. Um, and, um, uh, but we've had lots of, lots of research come out recently. So as well as, as the research that I did for my own, uh, my own study, um, there's been some research come out recently from the Campaign for Freedom of Information, which was specifically looking at uh, uh, local government in London, uh, including the GLA, looking at the role uh, of FOI officers and, and how, how they do their job, but also looking at how councils are doing in terms of performance with freedom of information uh, legislation. Um, but there's also been another study done by My Society um, uh, looking at freedom of information in local government. And they actually did research which looked at all councils across, uh, across the UK. So they sent out freedom of information requests to uh, nearly 400 authorities. Um, they, um, they've also uh, surveyed a lot of freedom of information officers. Um, and from those two studies, as well as the work that I've done, I've been able to extrapolate a few things that we can say about freedom of information officers. And I think, in turn, what that can tell us about how FOI works and also how FOI can work better, potentially, in the future. So here's my sort of main conjecture, my, my, my main point, if you like, which is that freedom of information officers are absolutely essential to freedom of information. It may seem a really obvious statement, but... Um, if you actually look at the Freedom of Information Act, uh, the UK's Freedom of Information Act, uh, if you looked at the Scottish Freedom of Information Act, um, 
if you look at any of that legislation, there is no reference anywhere to freedom of information officers. There is no requirement on public authorities to appoint somebody to actually manage these obligations. And yet, it's totally impossible to deliver freedom of information without having people behind the scenes who are actually making it happen, whether that be educating colleagues um, or dealing with the requests that come in from the public or from journalists or whoever it might be. Um, there isn't actually a requirement on public authorities to have anybody in place to deal with all of that. Um, and yet, this is a, a quote from um, Ireland, actually. Um, Ireland got a new Freedom Information Act in 2014, um, and um, uh, there's no requirement, again, as such, for a Freedom Information Officer, but what they do have is a code of practice which does refer to Freedom Information Officers and actually really stresses the importance of Freedom Information Officers and why they're so essential to keeping FOI working. Uh, and this is a quote from there. Uh, the FOI officer as the gatekeeper for the public body's FOI request. And if you think about it, that is exactly what an FOI officer does. Um, that's exactly what they're doing. They're dealing with the requests that come in, and they're trying to encourage their colleagues, ideally, to release information uh, to the public and to make it available. Um, so they're acting as gatekeeper for the public body's FOI requests, um, and uh, they are the linchpin of a public body's capability in relation to FOI. Um, I'd probably go further than that. You, you can't do FOI without having a freedom information officer, without having a competent freedom of information officer, um, of course supported by a network of people throughout the organisation. Um, and this is the definition of a linchpin. There we go. A person or thing vital to an enterprise or organisation. As I say, absolutely essential. You can't have FOI without FOI officers. So what do we find out from all of this research? What have we found out about FOI officers? Um, and first of all, is there any proof for this conjecture that I'm making here that freedom information officers and good freedom information officers are essential to making FOI work? Well, actually, coming out of that research that I was just talking about, we can find some evidence for that. Um, the Campaign for Freedom Information um, uh, study, looking at London local authorities, um, came up with a, with a number of anecdotes which really support this. So... You can see the first example here, um, the London Borough of Bromley. They actually got rid of their central FOI team altogether in 2012. Um, ever since then, they've um, dealt with FOI by relying on each department doing its own thing. So a request will come in, it will be fielded to uh, departments, they deal with it, and then they, they send it out. What I would describe as a devolved system of uh, FOI management, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a little while. Um, but the result of that, having less central FOI expertise, you can see here, um, from the few statistics we have, we can see that the performance has dropped over time. So uh, just since 2014, it's dropped from uh, the sort of high 70s uh, down to the sort of low 60s. Um, we can see some other examples here, uh, some of which are perhaps more startling than that. So um, Lambeth, they, their FOI officer left. Um, they called it them an FOI coordinator. Their FOI coordinator left um, in uh, 2016 to 17. Um, the result was that their performance dropped to 76%. Um, by the way, performance, just in case any of you are unclear what I mean by that, most of the time when we assess how public authorities deal with free information, how successful they are at dealing with, with free information, the simplest uh, metric that we use to measure that is um, how well are they doing at answering freedom of information requests within their statutory deadline of 20 working days. Um, so that's what we're measuring here. Um, so you can see it was 
uh, it went down to 76%. It's now recovered because they've got, some, got somebody in place. Newham, um, their FOI officer was away um, in 2015-16, uh, um, was, was, was uh, not able to, to work at that time, um, and their performance dropped to around about 66%. Um, which is not very good. Bearing in mind, by the way, that the regulator, the information commissioner, uh, says that public authorities should be complying, well, they should be complying 100% of the time, of course, but, uh, but they, they, they basically say they, will, uh, they, they may well take action against authorities who don't uh, answer requests um, 90% of the time uh, within that 20 working day deadline. So, uh, so 66% is not very good. Um, by April 2016... Um, they'd got their FOI officer back and their performance had gone up to 90%. So that FOI officer is clearly doing a great job because when they disappeared for a short while, the performance really plummeted. When they came back, performance improved uh, significantly. And you can see what happened when Barking and Dagenham, um, they decided a few years ago to outsource FOI. So they decided to, to get a private company to run, to deal with their customer services, deal with their FOI requests that came in. Uh, and the result was that their performance basically went as far down as 53%. They decided off the back of that and a number of other things to return it in-house. So they re-established re their team that dealt with those FOI uh, requests when they came in. And performance now, um, or at least at the point when the campaign for FOI were collecting this, this data, uh, it was back up to 93%. So that's, that's a significant difference. So we can see that having an experienced, knowledgeable, freedom of information officer in post can make a significant difference to the ability of public authorities to comply with freedom of information uh, requirements um, and basically meet the public's right to know. So what do we know? What does the research tell us about these freedom information officers, these people who are, who are handling these freedom information requests that come in? Um, well, there's a few things we can say about freedom information uh, from the research. And um, from my own research, um, first of all, do public authorities have freedom of information officers? Um, taking quite a broad definition of what a freedom of information officer is, um, uh, you know, because there is no formal role of FOI officers and nothing defined in legislation, really these are, just, from my point of view, these are the people who are coordinating freedom of information. They're providing advice to their colleagues. They're perhaps receiving freedom of information requests when they come in and maybe disseminating them to other departments um, or maybe handling them more centrally themselves. Um, but basically they, there is somebody carrying out that function. According to my research, 87% um, of the councils that I, I wrote to um, came back and said, yes, we've got either one person or a team of people who are fulfilling that role. Now, that high figure doesn't surprise me in the least. In fact, actually, the bit that surprises me about that is the 13% of councils that say they don't have anybody doing that. Um, I don't think that's true, in fact. I think they may not call it an FOI officer, but I'm pretty sure every public authority has somebody who has some sort of central role in relation to dealing with freedom of information requests. Um, but that really underlines one of the main reasons why I carried out my research and I wrote my book and I, you know, and I spend a lot of time talking about things like this, is that um, there is no formal role of a freedom information officer. Um, and that that causes a few issues. Um, and I think some of you will be aware of criticisms that have been made in several quarters about freedom of information and how well it works and how transparent public authorities are. 
Um, my conjecture is that a lot of the problems that we have with freedom of information are not to do with the legislation itself. It's to do with the fact that it's not well supported administratively within uh, public authorities. And actually, if we have better resourced freedom of information officers, if we recognise that freedom of information officer is a proper role and needs, needs that support and needs to be properly developed, um, then that is going to help considerably in improving the performance of public authorities uh, with freedom of information. Uh, what else can we say? Um, well, how many um, freedom information officers do public authorities have? Um, well, the research that I did uh, happily coincided with the research that my society did. We found very much the same thing. They obviously had a much wider range of councils that they were contacting, so their data is much better than mine, uh, but, um, uh, but we found the same things anyway. Um, basically, the average is about 1.9, so call it two. Uh, we'll round it up to two. The average is two. But that's because some authorities have quite big teams. So one of the teams in one, one council um, told me they had 10 members of staff in the team that dealt with free information. Now that doesn't mean that 10 people are answering free information requests or coordinating freedom of information responsibilities. What that means is that there's 10 people who have, as part of their responsibilities, FOI. Um, they are almost certainly doing other things, and I'll say a bit more about that in a moment. The median, so basically most authorities would have one person carrying out that role at the centre, um, providing that support role. Um, as I say, they will likely be supported by a network of people throughout the council, um, throughout the authority, uh, but, the, but basically uh, there's normally one person whose key responsibility is freedom of information. Interestingly, um, when my society did research, one of the things they asked about was um, how, what was the budget for freedom of information and how many staff did, did, uh, did uh, authorities have. Um, and from the data they got back, it was quite tricky because, because there's no formal role and because very often these people are doing multiple things, they didn't really get very very usable data, if you see what I mean. So, so it's quite, it's quite, the message is a little bit confusing. But one of the conclusions they did take from the, from the data was that for every thousand increase in the numbers of FOI requests that are coming in, what they found was that there's a 0.75 increase in staffing. So, uh, so actually, FOI officers out there, if you're worried about the numbers of FOI requests that you're receiving, actually, maybe you shouldn't be, because the more FOI requests you get statistically, that means you're more likely to get more support. Now, of course, practically, it's not quite that simple. Um, but certainly, that's an interesting finding, that there, are, uh, that there, is a, there is a clear association between the numbers of FOI requests that are coming into public authorities and the resource that's being allocated for it. So authorities are starting to realise, um, if they didn't before, that they need to put some investment into um, this support for freedom of information. So these FOI officers, what skills do they actually have? Um, what do they need to be able to deal with FOI requests? One of my greatest problems with the way that FOI is administered and the, the way that perhaps FOI officers are selected is that very often people are sort of dumped into that role. Um, it is given to people uh, and seen as a basic admin task. That's not what FOI is at all. If you want to be able to deal with freedom information requests, you need a range of skills. Um, and um, you need to be able to, uh, to, to answer these FOI requests uh, well. To, to do that, you need analytical skills because you need to be able to analyse what people are asking for. You need to be 
clear and understand what it is they're asking for. You need to know where in your organisation that information is going to be. You need to know to ask the right questions. Um, you need to know when you need to go back to a requester and ask them, for, uh, ask them to clarify what it is that they want. You need to be able to understand um, the, uh, the guidance that's out there. You need to be able to have the legal skills to be able to interpret legislation, um, to be able to understand case law uh, that exists uh, around freedom of information so that you know whether or not you should be releasing uh, information. Um, you need the communication skills to be able to um, perhaps train your colleagues, uh, certainly to interact on a one-to-one -one basis with your colleagues, uh, understand their concerns about why they perhaps might, might think that information can't be released. Um, you need to have the communication skills to be able to uh, talk with requesters of all sorts, uh, to be able to liaise with other organisations. Um, in my time as an FOI officer, um, I had to liaise with um, the International Olympic Committee, I had to liaise with um, uh, the Royal Household, I had to liaise with all sorts of organisations, government departments. Um, you have to deal with all sorts of people. And yet, as I say, very often this role is seen as a basic admin task. That's absolutely not the case. If you're going to do this job well, you need to be able to talk to people at all levels in all kinds of organisations. Um, as I say, you need the legal skills and you need a knowledge of your work area. You need to know your organisation inside out, know the people to talk to. One of the um, respondents to my survey uh, they said one of the reasons they were able to perform so well at FOI, and they had uh, a performance well in excess of 90%, um, one of the reasons they did that, they said, was because they, between them and a colleague, they had 50 years of experience working in the same council. Um, and so they were able to bring that inside knowledge, that extensive experience, to bear when they got freedom of information requests. They always knew who to go to. They always knew where the information was going to be. Um, so, uh, so that really, really helped them. So that knowledge of the organisation is absolutely essential as well. And knowing the organisation. So, so these are, these are, these are, some of these things are really quite um, complex skills to build up. We don't want anybody um, doing this. Um, so if we want to improve um, how, how we do with FOI, um, then we need FOI officers who are very knowledgeable and very skillful. Um, so slightly worrying then that my society found that only 27.2% of the FOI officers that they got in touch with had professional qualifications in freedom of information. Uh, there are a few uh, qualifications out there, um, but, um, but clearly most people who are doing this job don't necessarily have those qualifications. And perhaps that needs to change if we want to have people with these skills in these posts uh, and, and doing a good job with freedom of information. What else do they do? Um, well, as I said earlier, very often freedom information officers are doing lots of other things, or they're in teams that do lots of other things. Um, and in fact, wow, the reason I've put an exclamation mark on this slide uh, when I said respondents commonly stress that FOI wasn't their only job. Um, yeah, there, there were some really pointed remarks that I got back. Uh, and reading the, the um, My Society report, I think they had the same experience from FOI officers who were very clear, hang on, this is not my only job. I have to do lots of other things as well. This is hard work. Um, and, it, you know, if we have problems with meeting deadlines, etc., it's because we are, we are overstretched, perhaps, because we're doing lots of other things. Um, so FOI officers, um, they do... Um, one of the most common areas that they have involvement in is data protection. 
uh, perhaps not surprisingly. There's a lot of crossover uh, between those two areas. Um, and uh, so my society found 67.6% of their respondents, um, they were dealing with FOI, but also dealing with data protection. Um, you can see from the pie chart on here, um, these are sort of the areas that free information is based within councils. So uh, the areas within the organisation. So the most common place, and this isn't surprising at all, the most common place for FOI officers or equivalent to be would be in the information governance or records management team. So they're working as part of that, that wider team with responsibility for information rights and information management. Um, but that wasn't the only place where FOI officers were based. Um, sometimes they were based in the performance or risk uh, management department. Um, sometimes they were based uh, in legal, which makes sense, of course. This is a legal requirement, so uh, uh, so perhaps not a uh, not a, a bad place for uh, uh, for FOI officers to be. Um, customer services. Um, if you've got people who are responsible anyway for dealing with correspondence with the public, perhaps it makes sense uh, to make those people also responsible for coordinating uh, the requests uh, under FOI. Uh, statutory um, inquiries from the public. Um, very small percent proportion of councils um, uh, had based FOI in the democratic services um, department. I guess connected to the fact that councillors would have questions about uh, uh, about how the council was doing. So uh, it made sense to perhaps to have uh, people who were answering those those questions to uh, to councillors to be answering uh, answering the public as well. Um, so, uh, so they're based in all sorts of, of departments around the council, but the most common place is with information managers. Um, one of the things that struck me, though, was there's not much interaction with open data. So, and that's certainly my experience from when I was working at the GLA and in other organisations. Um, there tended to be a division between freedom information and open data. Um, when, I, when open data first became something that local authorities were talking about, the public authorities were talking about, um, when the government was talking about it 10 years ago, um, or just less than that. Um, you know, um, people like myself were interested, we were intrigued. Um, but when it came to our organisations wanting to make progress in those areas um, and looking into it, they didn't really look to FOI officers um, to, uh, to get involved in that too much. Um, and sometimes FOI officers who sort of tried to get involved, were kind of rebuffed because it was seen as something that was more to do with technology and data uh, and, uh, and not really something that, uh, that, you know, as I say, sometimes these people, these FOI officers are seen as, seen as a basic admin uh, task. So I think there's a certain degree of, of, of uh, division there. Um, so it'd be interesting to see going forward if we could build that relationship between FOI officers, because FOI officers really are a ready-made resource there um, to, uh, to help with delivering open data initiatives uh, within uh, public authorities. How's FOI organised? Um, as I said earlier, there's really a split between centralised models and devolved models. So uh, this is how I've split it up in my book. And... Um, the way that many authorities will handle FOI is they will have an FOI officer or an FOI team um, at the, uh, uh, in one place within the organisation. A request will come in, usually directly to them via an, e an email, um, but perhaps passed to them by, by another part of the organisation. Um, request will come in. The um, FOI team then um, uh, sort of 
identifies which departments will have the relevant information, will pass on that information to, the, uh, uh, to, the, to, those, uh, uh, to those teams, those departments, um, and then the department will pull it all together, uh, perhaps raise any concerns, but pass that all back to the Freedom of Information Officer to prepare a response to send back to the requester. That's great because the FO Officer can, maintains control over the whole process. The other option, though, and this happens a lot in larger authorities, um, might be central government departments, might be uh, larger, larger councils, um, is the devolved model. So what happens there is a request comes in um, to a central team. Um, again, they will log that request. They will identify who's likely to have the relevant information. And then they will send that, that request onto the team that they think has got that information. But it will be up to that team, it will be up to that department to respond directly to the person who's made the request. Um, obviously, that team is best qualified to answer the request. Um, they perhaps have more resources than the FOI officer does. So that's perhaps that, those are the reasons really for doing it that way. The downside of that um, is that perhaps it means the FOI officer doesn't have quite so much control over the process. The, um, the people in that team, in that department, have other priorities. So they maybe don't want to prioritise answering these FOI requests. And um, some indication in the data that I got back to, uh, to my survey um, that that might be the case. So... Um, Basically, I've split this down by performance uh, against that 20 working day deadline. Um, so this is better towards here. So 90% plus, that's where we want to be. You can see there's not that much difference, but I think what this is showing is that the organisations that have a centralised approach, so where the FOI officer has complete control over the response that goes out, they are getting their responses out on time more of the time than when they have a devolved approach. Um, that's just my interpretation of the data. Um, um, and certainly there was some feedback anecdotally from some of the people who responded saying they were changing back to a centralised approach because that was their experience, that they were, finding it they were finding it difficult maintaining compliance while they were operating a devolved approach. However you're doing it, even if you've got a centralised approach, you need help in around the organisation. Um, and so most FOI officers will rely on people around the organisation, a network of people. Um, I used to call these at the GLA FOI liaison officers. Um, they will be people who have other jobs, so they won't be full-time FOI officers, but they will be, basically, if, if an FOI request is directed to them, they will be responsible for coordinating uh, the pulling together of information to answer that request. And if it's a devolved approach, they may be responsible for drafting the response. Um, the list on here is basically a list of some of the names that came back to me from my survey. So people call them all sorts of different things, um, depending on, on, on different councils. Again, there's no standardised way of doing this. Um, so there's all sorts of terms used. Um, link officers, um, information champions, um, team FOI officers. Um, in a sense, it doesn't really matter what you call them, but they're all doing, fulfilling that role of being a contact. Now, again, my society's research showed that 62.5% of councils um, had um, something like this in place. Um, again, I don't believe that data. Uh, I think that you can't operate and uh, you can't deal with FOI requests at all unless you've got something like this in place. So they probably don't call them these things. They maybe don't think of them in this kind of way, but almost all 
organisations that have to deal with freedom of information requests are going to have some sort of network like this in place. Um, because one FOI officer, unless you're a very small organisation, uh, an FOI officer can't possibly hope uh, to be able to deal with, it, with FOI requests and to know about all of the things that they get asked about. about how they do their job. So what software do they use? Um, well, both I and my society ask questions about this and we found pretty much the same thing. Um, you can see on the screen perhaps here um, some of the, um, uh, the, the different bits of software that are used. Uh, a third of um, public authorities, of local authorities rather, reported that they didn't have any kind of software in place to manage FOI requests. Um, my society was sceptical about this. I am too. Um, what they probably mean is they use Excel spreadsheets um, or access databases or something like that. Several councils did report uh, using them uh, specifically, uh, but I suspect those ones that are saying they don't have a system, that is what they're doing. Um, although perhaps some don't, because certainly one or two people responded to my survey when asked how many FOI requests do you, uh, do you receive and how many are you answering on, on time? I had at least two councils come back to me and say, we don't know, which seems astonishing. How on earth can you be answering FOI requests and not know how many FOI requests you're receiving uh, and how many you're answering on time? Certainly, it's very difficult to push for more resources if you don't know how many requests you're receiving. Um, uh, but that could be down to uh, lack of case management uh, software. And certainly my society found that whilst most councils were able to say how many requests they received, uh, basic things like how, how long they were taking, um, a lot of councils weren't able to say which exemptions they were using, how many times they used exemptions, how many times they refused requests, um, how many times they decided that a request was vexatious. They just didn't have statistics um, that enabled them to, uh, uh, to answer these requests. Um, so uh, that may be because they've not got the software in place. So perhaps some of these uh, organisations could improve their performance by getting, getting some software in place. Really importantly, because I've said that FOI officers are absolutely crucial to FOI compliance, um, what support do these people who are handling FOI requests get within their organisations? Um, really difficult to get to the bottom of that because you've got to get people to speak honestly and openly about their experience at work. Um, but, uh, but I know from my own personal experience that it can be very, very difficult, um, especially if you have someone in a senior position who doesn't agree, uh, doesn't want to send out information, they think it's embarrassing, or perhaps, perhaps they have legitimate concerns, um, but as an FOI officer, perhaps you know, you know the law, and you're not particularly convinced you can justify withholding information, being in that position can be very difficult. Um, having leadership at the top of an organisation that supports freedom of information is really important. So having the right governance structure in place is really essential. Um, this is a quote from um, uh, Ben Worthy um, and Jim Amos's uh, report. Uh, it's basically the Constitution Unit's report from a few years back, uh, looking at local government and how they deal with freedom of information. And one of their conclusions was that uh, leadership is crucial to making or breaking FOI uh, and openness in general. Um, basically, it makes sense, doesn't it? If we've not got support from the top, people at the top of organisations um, aren't supporting FOI, um, it's going to be much harder to make FOI work. And certainly it is difficult for FOI officers where they don't have that support. So... Uh, some figures here, actually from an earlier, uh, some, some, uh, some more research from UCL's constitution unit, 
uh, looking at higher education and some really interesting statistics here. 38% of respondents to their survey reported begrudging compliance uh, from their senior management. Uh, which was at least better than the 24% who described their senior colleagues as resistant um, to uh, when the you know, and these are FI officers doing their jobs, trying to make sure that their organisation complies with their legal obligations, and yet they're experiencing resistance from a quarter of their senior colleagues. Um, 92% of them, uh, well, they, they were actually asked uh, by, the, uh, by the people at, uh, at the Constitution Unit, they were asked to list the, the three worst things about their job. And 92% put dealing with colleagues in that list of the three hardest things that they had to deal with. Um, just to put that in context, only 42% listed dealing with applicants in that list. So if you're an applicant and you think that you've had trouble with getting information out to public authorities, um, actually, FOI officers kind of like you, um, most of them. Um, it's really their colleagues that they have a problem with most of the time. Um, and I think that underlines a big problem in trying to get FOI working. The problem is not with the FOI officers most of the time. Most of the time, you'll find that FOI officers are helpful. And a lot of journalists have said this, actually. Um, that they find FOI officers helpful and, and eager to try and find a way through um, and, uh, and try to make sure that their organisation um, deals with their request uh, cooperatively. Um, what is often more difficult is trying them, is the, for the FOI officer to persuade their colleagues to get the information out of the organisation. Um, and uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence to support uh, these statistics here. So... Come to the end now, but Freedom Information Officers, I hope I've demonstrated, are crucial to making FOI work. You can't have Freedom Information without having people who are supporting it, whether we call them FOI officers or not. Um, you're going to struggle as a public authority to comply with your requirements um, and certainly to treat FOI positively if you don't have somebody um, carrying out this role. Um, it is a complex role. I've demonstrated a hope that the things, the skills that FI officers need, the things they need to, to be able to do, um, this is not a basic admin task. This is something that really is quite, quite difficult to do and needs, uh, needs support. Um, very often, the problems that we do have are because FI officers are very lightly resourced. Um, we probably need more FI officers if we want to improve performance with FOI. Um, and a final thought, bearing in mind where I am today, um, I think there's certainly a lot, a lot more scope for freedom of information officers to work more closely with those working in open data. Um, and I think that'd be an interesting thing to explore as we go forward, I and mean, maybe that's something that you want to discuss uh, as you ask questions. But, um, uh, but that is uh, all I was going to say, apart from, before I, before I hand, hand back to Kaylee, um, just to say, Thank you for coming along. Um, and really just to uh, uh, mention my book, The Freedom Information Officer's Handbook. Um, and anybody who's here today, there is a leaflet uh, available here with details of how to get the book at a 50% discount. Lucky you. Um, so thank you very much. Um, Kayleigh. Thank you. Right, thank you very much, Paul. We're going to take some questions now. Um, I was just wondering... Um, you were talking about the role of the Freedom Information Officer not being formally defined. Is that something you would recommend should be the case? And if so, is there anything you would be wary of with governments sort of formally defining that role? Um, 
Yeah, I, I certainly think it is something that would improve things. And it's interesting because a few years ago, we wouldn't have thought about data, having formal data protection officers, um, that that would be defined in legislation. But now, of course, in the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, there's a requirement on, on public authorities, certainly, to have data protection officers. Um, so there's precedent for this. And I think, you know, yes, it would need to be scoped quite broadly. But, yeah, certainly I think it would help. I've uh, just got a question over here. Thank you for your talk. Um, one of the concerns when I'm putting requests in comes back to what you're talking about with the difficulty of FOI officers dealing with colleagues. Yeah. And, for example, at an information tribunal I was recently um, taking against a department, I saw my request have been copied to all special advisors. How do, especially in central government, FOI officers draw the line with following the law and then also having pressure put on them by press officers and special advisors, mm -hmm. maybe to use certain exemptions that, in their judgment, aren't really applicable? Really good question. I mean, basically, I mean, that is the, the nub of the issue for freedom of information officers. They are right in the middle. Um, it's going to depend. I've never worked in central government, though I know people who do, so I know a little bit about how, how it works. I can talk about my experience at the GLA, and there certainly special advisors, the mayor's advisors, um, would at times have strong views about whether information should go out. Um, and the press office similarly would have strong views. Um, I think I always managed to walk that tightrope reasonably well, um, but it is really difficult. Um, and sometimes you can't win. Sometimes there is a point at which a freedom information officer has to say, well, look, this is above my pay grade. Um, I, can't, I can't go against what I'm told to do because I would not be doing I, I could be out of a job. Um, so you, you ultimately have to do what you're told um, and send out a response that perhaps you don't agree with. Very often, what I used to feel in those circumstances was, I really hope someone would appeal because that's how you challenge those decisions. Um, and hopefully if that had happened, and, and more often than it actually did, um, we might, it might have been... Uh, easier to persuade the people higher up the organisation that, hang on, no, you can't just um, suppress this. You can't actually put, uh, just uh, take that approach. Um, we've got to consider this uh, along the lines of what the law says we should be doing. Um, and it's not, I, I should stress, I'm not suggesting that anybody's ever done anything um, illegal or suggested that anything illegal should be done, but people have differing interpretations about how you should deal with FOI and how helpful you should be, put it that way. Okay, thanks, Paul. Has anyone any other questions? Okay. There you go. Hi. Uh, I was just interested in your comments about open data and freedom of information officers. Um, in the experience that I had, data.gov, you, you know, is, is great. There's lots of broken links. And mm -hmm. things, so I... I I emailed it in, said, link's broken, can I have this data? Yep. And, and they kind of pushed back and said, oh, well, we haven't really got it put in a freedom of information request, which seemed counterintuitive. The data was already open. It was already out mm -hmm. there. It was just yeah. not where it had been. So do, do you think uh, councils or local authorities or government um, hide behind freedom of information? You know, they should have just fixed the link. They should have had the data. Available. I don't think they hide behind freedom of information. I think, in many ways, 
it under, what your experience underlines the importance of freedom of information. Because if we go back far enough before freedom of information, the government and other public authorities were very reluctant to release anything at all, to make anything available. So FOI has encouraged authorities to move them in the right direction. Also, when you do have that experience where the information isn't available through open data, isn't available on, web, on government websites, at least you do have the means of freedom of information to get at that, that data. You have a statutory right to access it. And that is really powerful and really important. Um, certainly, there have been voices in government in the last few years. And I think maybe one of the reasons why there's sometimes a bit of a, almost a, a perceived conflict between open data and FOI is that there's been this perception in government that well, if we publish enough and we publish all this data online, we can get rid of the need for freedom of information. But actually, I think most people's experience is, no, we still need freedom of information there because we need a backstop. We need something there that when government suddenly decides, oh, well, actually, it's not convenient to publish this data anymore, there is still a way to get at it. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Okay, we've just got a question over at the back. Uh, Paul McGrath, Transparency Project. Thanks very much for your talk. Um, I wondered if you could say a little bit more about the appeal process and what happens in an appeal and how you respond to that and who supports you when you have an appeal and if there is kind of um, precedents and rulings at the ICO that you can rely on. Thanks right. very much. Um, yeah, well, I mean, certainly um, one of the great things with freedom of information is we now have a body of decisions to go on in terms of uh, how we deal with FOI, uh, and obviously if it, if it does go to an appeal that we can turn to to support uh, arguments. So lots of information on the Information Commissioner's website, all their decisions, all the tribunals publish their decisions, absolutely fabulous. Um, in terms of the process of dealing with an appeal, um, certainly, um, I have to be completely honest, my experience of that, my direct experience of that is fairly limited. When I was at the GLA, I was there for six years, uh, dealing with freedom of information. Um, and I was dealing with freedom of information in a number of organisations after that, before I went freelance. Um, and um, basically, um, I, I had virtually no appeals. Um, we had the odd internal review. So we would have people complaining to up to the organisation and it would be dealt with at that stage. But very, very few people complained. As I was saying a few moments ago, um, I would have liked more people to complain because then that would have challenged the organisation, I think, to, to get better. And I think since I left, actually, the GLA has had a number of decisions from the Information Commissioner, um, and I've noticed that certain, certain things actually probably, if anything, have improved. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's because um, I know they've got some really good people there, but it's also because uh, they've perhaps been challenged from outside, and that, that, in a sense, supports the FOI officer. So I guess... One of the things I would say is, actually, complaints, appeals, are a really important part of the process of ensuring, of, of backing up the FOI officer in carrying out their role. Um, and, um, but in terms of uh, support, um, yeah, I mean, when I was at the GLA, we had a legal department that we could turn to. Um, they, that's slightly changed now, but, uh, uh, yeah, it depends on the public authority. Um, I've recently helped a, a public authority that was dealing with appeals for, to the commissioner and to the tribunal uh, in terms of understanding what they had to do. Because um, a lot of public authorities, they're not dealing with this all the time, and there isn't really much guidance out there about, you know, how, how do you answer the, F the information commissioner? How do you answer 
the tribunal? How do you uh, put forward your case? Uh, so it is, it is a bit of a, um, a minefield for, for public authorities as well, trying to find their way through how to deal with, with these kind of appeals. Just got a question here. Thanks. Uh, are you are you ever involved, or do Freedom of Information officers ever get involved in the sort of the, the, the start of a project? I'm just thinking of if if you're involved in when a say a project involving large data sets kicks off, you could you could probably give pretty valuable advice to say, well, actually, you need to uh, design the project in a certain way because this information will be private information, and this information could be asked for as public information so mm -hmm. so you've uh, is there any sort of um, steps that are in place when when you kick off a project or do it it will depend from authority to authority but my my personal experience is that doesn't happen very much it obviously should do um whether with um i think there's two reasons for that one is that fi officers as we saw are quite stretched so they're so busy dealing with the day-to-day -day job that they don't necessarily have the time and the resource to reach out to other departments and say, oh, you need to involve me in your project. Um, and I think also there's an element of, um, again, them being seen as, as that's, that's a separate, separate task. But you're absolutely right. Involving FOI officers and their knowledge of what the public are interested in um, in projects at an earlier stage, particularly transparency projects, um, would would help those projects um, a, a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we have some projects, not not specifically dealing with freedom of information, but if we'd known at the start of those projects that we were trying to, we've been trying to publish data or make it open, if we'd known at the start that we could actually keep some bits separate, it would make it much easier to do. Just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, absolutely. I think we had a question down here at the front. Yeah, it's just from me. Um, for your research for the book, um, did you find any good sort of glowing examples of when an FOI officer um, has been fully integrated into an organisation and its processes and kind of what made it work? Mm. Um, that's a really good question. Um, there, I'm trying to think of some examples off the top of my head. I mean, I guess really the, the ones that stood out to me in terms of it working well were things like the example I gave before where you had people who'd been working in an organisation a long time and they were really committed to doing a good job um, and that's you know there's a division because there are a lot of FOI officers out there who are really committed to FOI and really want to, want to do a great job really want to um, to push their organisation to uh, be more open um, and some organisations that have those kind of FOIs are, are achieving some, some really good things um, and their performance is likely to be uh, towards the higher end. Um, but um, there are also some people who are, as I said at the start, just dumped into those roles and so really, really struggle. Um, and um, really what we need is more support for those people to get them more integrated um, and uh, so they can learn from the areas of, of good practice elsewhere. Um, and hopefully things like my book will help to um, spread good practice across, uh, across the country because it's not a statutory position, because there isn't a standardised way to do all of this and there isn't really any guidance available anywhere about how to be an FOI officer, how to do it well. Um, you know, organisations have had to make this up as they've gone along and I think um, hopefully this is now helping to, 
um, spread good practice, not just my book, but the research, the other research that I talked about, um, is starting to spread what is good practice um, across the country, uh, and hopefully uh, that will help help things. Okay, we've got time for a couple more questions. If if anyone has any, okay. I guess just kind of a follow up to the point you were just talking about there. I mean, do you think it might? For those ones who are a bit reluctant and reticent to come forward with this and don't see the value, can you think of good examples of where freedom of information requests have led to benefits back to the people who have given out information mm. through FOIs? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really important point. Um, FOI actually does have benefits for public authorities, and they don't, a lot of the time, they don't really think about that. They're constantly thinking about the negatives um, in, in a lot of authorities. Um, I can think of a specific example from my own experience. I remember in one authority that I was working in, we got a request, which is pretty common at the time, particularly in the, uh, after the MP's expenses scandal, we got a request for uh, the um, expenses of our, um, our director, basically our chief executive. And um, so we pulled all the, all the data together. Uh, at the time, they weren't proactively published, but uh, that changed later on. We pulled all that data together. In the process of that, it was shown to the chief executive, who looked through it and went, hang on, there's something here that we should have claimed back from another organisation. So they spotted that, and as a result, the finance department then went and claimed, claimed that money back. So that's an example of where, actually, it brings... In a sense, it's almost like an audit of your organisation. But with audits, you can say, as an organisation, we want to be audited on this. We're going to have, this is what our internal audit is going to look like, uh, look at. Um, this is what external audit is going to look at. Um, so you're constantly you know, um, saying how, what, what is going to be examined. One of the great things about FOI is it's, it's a sort of external audit on things randomly. So it's completely random what, what is going to be picked up. And it does allow you to pick up those kind of things. Uh, and it helps the organisation to, to perhaps put things right that perhaps they, they weren't even aware of. Um, so, yeah. Okay, thanks very much. Anyone else have a question? Or Okay, well, in that case, I'd like to thank you all for coming today. And big thank you to Paul again for a very interesting talk. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture. Brought to you by the Open Data Institute.